You're listening to The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam, the series that visits those distinguished as leaders of humanity, not only in history, but in the ranks of the next world. Dive into the stories of the giants who were the first of their kind as they rose to the occasion and became preserved inspirations for generations to come. With your host, Sheikh Dr. Omar Salaman, let's meet The Firsts. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So, inshallah ta'ala, tonight we continue in the first, and I want to uh, actually say something that will excite some people, that next week, inshallah ta'ala, we'll be starting with Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So I'm going to get that out of the way right now. Why? Because I think for the last 10 or 15 halaqahs, people say, when are we going to talk about Umar radiallahu anhu? When are we going to talk about Umar? Why is it that we haven't talked about Umar yet? Anyone know? Because he wasn't one of the first to embrace Islam, right? His, his embracing Islam comes after Hamza radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who we spoke about two weeks ago. And inshallah ta'ala, there is a unique connection to the companion that we will talk about today, to Umar bin Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So it kind of sets us up now to move into Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Obviously, I won't be able to do all of the seerah of Umar just as we did Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu and Ali and Uthman, may Allah be pleased with them. It will be a few halaqahs inshallah ta'ala where we go over some of the ways in which Umar radiallahu anhu influenced the Muslims early on or was influenced by Islam early on. And then some of the things that he is noted for, some of his distinctions as being one of the first to embrace Islam. So he will be the last of the firsts, or not the last actually, we'll cover one more companion after him inshallah ta'ala before we go into the hijjah. So today we're actually going to cover a couple. And that couple is Khawla bint Hakim and Uthman ibn Mad'un. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them both. Khawla bint Hakim is commonly uh, mistaken to be Al-Mujadila, the woman who pleaded to the Prophet sallallahu about her husband. Who knows what her name was? It was Khawla bint something else, Al-Mujadila, the woman who pleads. It's okay to guess wrong by the way. Does anyone know Khawla bint who? Khawla bint Tha'laba. Khawla bint Tha'laba is Al-Mujadira. Khawla bint Hakim is married to Uthman ibn Mal'oon. She is not the same Khawla, though it is very common to see them uh, mistaken for one another. So when we talk about these two, inshallah ta'ala, I want to mention a few things. Number one, they are considered to be from the first 20 to embrace Islam. Some of the scholars put Uthman and Khawla as the 14th and 15th person to embrace Islam. So we're talking about very, very early on in Islam. They are uh, from some of the smaller tribes in Mecca, so they are Meccan, but they're from the, the smaller tribes of Quraysh that are not considered of the more influential ones. So they're protected by nature of being Qurashi, but at the same time, they don't have the defense that some of those larger tribes have when they would become Muslim. Now, one of the most interesting things about Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and I think that one of the reasons why he gets lost is because he shares the name with Uthman ibn Affan radiallahu anhu. I honestly do believe that one of the reasons why we don't talk about him so much is because of his name being shared with Uthman ibn Affan. Uthman ibn Mad'oon is actually the maternal uncle of Abdullah ibn Umar and Hafsa bin to Umar, okay? What does that mean? The sister of Uthman, Zainab bint Mad'oon, 
Zainab bint Madhun is the wife of Umar ibn al-Khattab. Okay? Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Umar radiallahu anhu is married to Zainab bint Madhun, the sister of Uthman ibn Madhun, and she is the mother of Abdullah and Hafsa. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them all. Therefore, sometimes, and this is something, this is why it's important to know the names of these people, especially when you do hadith literature, Abdullah ibn Umar would narrate from Khali, from my maternal uncle. And he's talking about Uthman ibn Mad'un, and it's understood that he's talking about Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu because he is the maternal uncle. So he shares that, uh, that, that lovely connection of being connected to uh, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And when Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu converted to Islam, we also know that Zainab converted to Islam at the same time, but she kept her conversion secret from Umar. So subhanAllah, Umar radiallahu anhu, everyone around him was becoming Muslim, including his own wife. And everyone was hiding it from him because no one wanted to be hurt by him, right? So he's thinking about his sister, right? And that's how the story unfolds. His own wife had actually already embraced Islam according to some of these historical accounts. Also his brother, Abdullah and Qudama. So three of them all embraced Islam. All three of the siblings of Uthman embraced Islam when he embraced Islam, Abdullah, Qudama and Zainab at some point soon after. And uh, he is, of course, close to, as we said, Hafsa and Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah. And this is one of the most powerful narrations to just think about, probably one of the most blessed hours in Islam. One of the most blessed hours in Islam that one of the narrations says that in the same hour, Uthman ibn Mad'un, Ubaidah ibn al-Harith, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, Abu Salama, Ubaidah, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, all embraced Islam jami'an fi sa'atin wahida, in one hour. That entire group embraced Islam with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in one hour. So I'm gonna say it again, Uthman ibn Mad'un, Ubaidah ibn al-Harith, Abdurrahman ibn Auf, Abu Salama, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, all met with Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and subsequently the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and embraced Islam within the same hour and they went back to their families and their families embraced Islam as well. So he is extremely close to the very first people to embrace Islam. And he was known as being someone of extremely lovable character. SubhanAllah, there's something about all of the Uthmans in the seerah, honestly, that they all had this character that made them beloved to the people. So he's known to uh, be respected, extremely honest in trade, loved by the elites of Quraysh, even though he was not amongst them. and a man by the name of Al-Walid ibn al-Mughira used to refer to Uthman ibn Mad'un as his nephew and used to protect him and used to love him and did not want him to be persecuted. This is the same man who Allah referred to in the Quran multiple times for his persecution of the Prophet ﷺ. But he loved Uthman and didn't want anyone to touch Uthman ibn Mad'un even years after he embraced Islam. So he's beloved to the people. And he also has one of the most powerful uh, explanations for why he refused to drink alcohol before Islam. You really only find a handful of people that avoided alcohol before Islam. Even the nobles, right? Casual drinkers at, you know, at minimum. They drank sometimes in their festivals. Everything about Jahili culture, about the culture of the days of ignorance surrounded alcohol. They drank in their worship. They drank in their parties. They drank in their funerals. Everything was drinking for them, okay? And Uthman ibn Mad'un was one of the few people who said, that's not for me. 
And they asked him why he would never touch alcohol. He said, why would I touch that which would? And listen what he says. Why would I drink something that would cause me to lose my mind and cause those who are less than me to laugh at me? Why would I make a fool out of myself and lose my mind and cause people that are less than me, adna minni, meaning the fools and, and, and the people that are considered you know, the lower people in terms of their adab and their akhlaq and their characteristics. He's not boasting with his tribalism. Why would I let them laugh at me and make fun of me while I lose my mind in these parties? I'm not interested. So that tells you a lot about his character and it's actually a very powerful uh, line because you don't find many people that thought that way in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, before the revelation came down to prohibit alcohol in stages. It was so sensitive that Aisha said that if alcohol was to be forbidden in Mecca, the people wouldn't have been able to handle it. Like that tells you enough about their attachment to Al-Khamr, to alcohol and to wine and, and, and the likes. So anyway, we have Uthman ibn Mad'un and Khawla bint Hakim the only thing we know about Khawla in the initial days is that she embraced Islam as soon as Uthman came home. And then she became extremely close to Khadija anha, and the Prophet She was known for her intelligence. She was known for her knowledge of medicine. She was known to be a matchmaker, which is her most famous distinction, by the way. She was the person that would match couples in Mecca. Okay, in Jahliyyah and in Islam, she was the person that would marry off husband and wife. And she was a person who was known for her concern for the Prophet So she became a close family friend to Khadija anha and to the Prophet Now, Uthman ibn Mad'un when he embraced Islam, he initially did face some persecution and he was chosen by the Prophet ﷺ to lead the first migration to Habasha, the first migration to Abyssinia. Remember, there were two migrations to Abyssinia. Who led the second migration to Abyssinia, which was the more famous one? Ja'far right? So Ja'far led the second migration to Abyssinia, which was the larger one. Uthman ibn Mad'un was chosen by the Prophet ﷺ to lead the first migration to Abyssinia. And uh, they came back when they heard the rumor that the people of Mecca had embraced Islam. And when Uthman ibn Mad'un and Khawla uh, came back to Mecca, Walid ibn Mughira, who again is a persecutor of the Prophet ﷺ, he told him, look, Yabna Akhi, O son of my brother, don't go back to Abyssinia, you're under my protection. No one's going to touch you when you're under my protection. And that actually happened. Imagine a man so arrogant that hates the Prophet ﷺ, but for whatever reason, due to his akhlaq, his dealings with Uthman ibn Mad'un, he loves Uthman ibn Mad'un so much, he says, you're protected by me and I guarantee you, no one in Mecca will dare touch you while you are under my protection. And so it happened. Uthman ibn Mad'un was so protected by Al-Walid ibn Mughira that he could go out publicly with his Islam and no one would dare touch him because of the power of Al-Walid ibn Mughira. And it got to the point that he felt bad because he sees the persecution of the poor Muslims. And as he sees the persecution of the poor Muslims, he thinks to himself, you know, what makes it that I'm protected and they're not? So because of that, he actually goes to Al-Walid and he tells him, I don't want your protection. Can you please take away your protection? Tell people to 
to, don't tell people to, to, to leave me alone anymore. I want to feel what they're feeling. I want to be with the poor Muslims. I want to be with those that are being persecuted. So after insisting with Al-Walid, Al-Walid didn't want to let him go. Al-Walid said, fine, you're free from persecution. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that he's going to become fair game the next day. And they know how much Al-Walid al-Mughira loves him. So they're still not going to attack him right away. Until Uthman ibn Mad'un one day says, I was walking around uh, the Kaaba. And he says there was a poet, and this poet was uh, the famous Labid. And he was speaking and he was giving his different poetry. And Labid or Lubaid, uh, as Uthman anhu sat down, he heard him say that everything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is baltid, is to perish. So he said, that's a nice line of poetry. So he told him, Sadaqt, great line of poetry, good job. He's sitting amongst the Meccans and he said, that's a really nice line of poetry. Now, what he really means by that in the context of Jahliya is that everything but the divine will perish. And then he went on to say that every single ni'mah, every blessing is za'il, expires. And Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu said, kadabt, you've lied because Jannah, paradise does not expire. Paradise as a blessing does not expire. When he said that, Lubaid said, you know, Ya Ma'ashara Quraysh, this young man amongst you insults me. You're just going to let him take it. And then someone gets up and says, he's one of the foolish Muslims. And then Uthman ibn Mad'un, he takes exception to that. He says, I'm foolish. I'm just correcting the poetry that he said. Eventually, he gets punched in the eye. Uthman ibn Mad'un, he gets punched in the eye. And he had a serious injury to his eye as a result of that skirmish. So Al-Walid goes to Uthman ibn Mad'un and he says, listen, I'm taking you under my protection and I want you to stay protected. I, I want you to be safe. I don't want anyone to hurt you. So he said, don't worry about it. And he said, I can take care of all of the different tribes of Mecca. Just stay under my protection. And Uthman ibn Mad'un who responds and he says, the protection of Allah is better than your protection. And he said, the only thing I regret is that he only punched one of my eyes. And the other, this eye went fi sabilillah, the other eye escaped. So he said, the only thing I regret is that this eye didn't get punched as well. So Uthman resented the protection that he was getting from Al-Walid because he felt the privilege as he was watching his brothers like Bilal and Khabbab and others that were, uh, that were being tortured for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now let's get back to Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha. Khawla, the wife, someone who develops this close relationship with the Prophet and Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, and she will, become, she will become known for making two of the greatest matches in history. When Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha passes away as they get close to the time of the hijrah, Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha, she checks in on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and his family. And she used to prepare food for them sometimes, you know, realize that the Prophet sallallahu did not marry when he was married to Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. And so he's alone and the Prophet ﷺ took his time to remarry. So she brings food to the house of the Prophet ﷺ. She checks on the Prophet ﷺ. And eventually she says to the Prophet ﷺ, look, it's time for you to get remarried. I think it's time for you to get remarried. And the Prophet ﷺ was hesitant. Why? Who am I going to find like Khadija? Right? He was so attached to Khadija anha that the Prophet ﷺ was not yet ready to get married to anyone else. So eventually, Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha, 
She pushes the envelope with the Prophet ﷺ until she says, listen, it's time for you to get married and I suggest two people for you. The Prophet ﷺ said, who are they? She said, one of them is elderly, but she has a lot of humor and she can bring much joy to your household. She's a widow of one of your companions and she's not considered marriageable to most people. But she will come into the house and she'll basically bring joy to your house, right? You know, you've been in, in difficult times and dark times. Now the house is gloomy after the death of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. There's a lot of weeping and a lot of tears and a lot of sadness. So she'll bring life and light to your house. Who was that woman? Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. Sauda bint Zama radiallahu ta'ala anha, we already spoke about. And her husband uh, who passed away was a Sakran ibn Amr. Now Sauda and Khawla were friends in Mecca, but they also lived together in Abyssinia. Okay, so realize that that community of people that went to Abyssinia, you can imagine how close they got, right? As the small community of Muslims that lives as a minority in this Christian land, they developed a very strong bond together. And you see that those bonds lasted even after Medina, that those that were close to each other in Abyssinia, even after they migrated to Medina, they became the best of friends because they already bonded for years together when all they had was each other. So Khawla was very close to Sauda in Abyssinia. So she said to her, she said to the Prophet look, I suggest Sauda bint Zama'a and I suggest Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha who is too young for marriage now, but when the time comes, then she will be a suitable match to you. And here's how she introduced Aisha to the Prophet ﷺ. She said to the Prophet ﷺ, the daughter of Ahabu Khalqillahi ilayk, the daughter of the most beloved person in the world to you. And the Prophet ﷺ immediately knew she was talking about Abu Bakr. So the other person that I suggest for you is the daughter of the most beloved person in the world to you. It is Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. The Prophet ﷺ, he hears her out and she pushes, and the Prophet ﷺ says, okay, you know what? SubhanAllah, how humble the Prophet ﷺ is. He doesn't say, well, in that case, let me go and just start claiming you know, my spouses. It's not the Prophet ﷺ. And by the way, he could have married whoever he wanted, anytime he wanted. The Prophet ﷺ could have had you know, tens and tens and tens of wives, and hundreds, and he could have chosen what he, what he wanted to, and no one would have disputed. Who does not want to be married to the Prophet ﷺ? But he's so humble, he says, you know what? Mention me to their families and let's see where it goes from there. So Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha, she takes this. And she, I mean, when you talk about an involved role, you know, like I, I personally, I did a lot, I've, I've performed a lot of marriages. When I see like someone that I did in a calf for five, 10 years later, I'm like, I did that, you know, alhamdulillah. His kids came out of that. I'm like, I take some pride in that. You know, like I got to marry uh, those two. Like imagine her, she gets to walk around and be like, Sauda and Aisha. That's me. <laughs> the Prophet Sallallahu best relationship, his best friend, someone he loves more than anyone else after Khadija radiallahu anha, man ahabbun nasi ilayk Aisha, I made that connection. She could say that, right? That's her claim. But Khawla wants to go about this strategically. So Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha, first she goes to Sauda uh, radiallahu ta'ala anha, and she says to Sauda, you know, what would you think about being married to the Prophet Sallallahu And Sauda almost fell down, like, wait, what? Why, you know, because again, Soda was not considered even marriageable to most people at the time. So she said to Khawla, you think he'd want to marry me? The Prophet so Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha responds and says, would you want to marry him? 
She said, of course. <laughs> so Khawla radiallahu anha says, I got it from here. Khawla goes to Zama'a, not Sauda. Khawla goes to the father of Sauda. And he was an old man. He was considered very rough, uh, a man of very few words, just very rough. He, he was, he was uh, you know, blind at the time. Really not, you know, not involved much in society, but Khawla radiallahu anha wants to go through the proper channels. So she goes to the father of, uh, of Sauda radiallahu ta'ala anha. And um, she says to the father of Sauda that, uh, you know, uh, oh uncle, I have some good news for you. He said, what is it? And he wasn't even Muslim at the time. He's thinking about tribes and he's thinking about nobility and thinking about lineage. She says to the father of Sauda that Muhammad ibn Abdullah ibn Abdul Muttalib. So she makes it a point to mention the lineage of the Prophet ﷺ, like you know who he is. He's interested in Sauda for marriage. So right away he shouts out and he says, Kufun Karim, said a noble match. He doesn't care about the religious part of that. Like, wow, okay, Muhammad ibn Abdullah from Banu Hashim, the tribe, right? He's a noble match for Sauda. So he says, um, you know, to Khawla radiallahu anha, does she want that? Because he knows how close Khawla is to Sauda. Does she want that? So Khawla replies that she would want that. So he told her to call Sauda, his own daughter. And uh, he says to Sauda that this woman claims that Muhammad ibn Abdullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wants to marry you. Are you interested? And she nods in affirmation that she's interested. So this is one. She gets Sauda married to the Prophet ﷺ. That's her first match. Okay, subhanAllah, everything, all the khayr, all the goodness that would come out of that marriage is as a result of her. Then she goes to the mother of Aisha radiallahu anha. All right, Umm Rumman, who was the wife of Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the mother of Aisha radiallahu anha. And Khawla is really smart. She likes to build up suspense. So she goes to Umm Rumman and she says, Mada adkhal Allahu alaykum min al khayri wal barakah. Wow, you people are so lucky. You're so blessed. What has Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chosen to send to you of goodness and blessing? Khayr and barakah. Umm Rumman says, What is it? <laughs> what are you talking about? So she says that I heard the Prophet yathkuru Aisha. I heard the Prophet mentioning Aisha radiallahu anha. And Umm Rumman was ecstatic, but well, wait a minute, I have to wait for Abu Bakr to come home. We've got to talk about this as a family. I mean, let's, let's, let's discuss this. And by the way, this is one of the, you know, probably one of the most conclusive proofs that there was absolutely nothing wrong, whatever the age of Aisha radiallahu anha was, it was completely appropriate at times she got married because it's being suggested from Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha. And she was certainly of marriage age at the time she married the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's the first conclusive proof. The second one is that when Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes, he's obviously, you know, he, he loves the idea, but, but he has two things that he says. He says, number one, isn't he my brother? SubhanAllah. But the Prophet is my brother. That's how close Abu Bakr was to the Prophet that, you know, uh, how's this going to work? Because, you know, he's considered my brother. So isn't this his niece? And of course, the Prophet explains that as close as you get, you know, when you say my brother, my sister, that that does not do away with the ties of mahram. Uh, or does not uh, involve any of the actual rulings of the Sharia when it comes to that which makes a person haram or halal. And what was the second thing that Abu Bakr was concerned about? Anyone remember? I did a lecture on the age of Aisha. Anha. 
And we went into detail with this. To me, it's one of the most, conclu- I mean, it's just, subhanAllah, such an easy way to dismiss the Islamophobes that try to come up with, oh, Aisha was so young when she married the Prophet Anyone know? Aisha was engaged. Aisha radiallahu anha was engaged. And she was engaged to Jubair ibn Mut'im radiallahu ta'ala anha. I say Jubair ibn Mut'im radiallahu anhu, but Jubair became Muslim way later. At that time, he wasn't Muslim. So Mut'im had mentioned, or he had, you know, uh, consulted and Mut'im and Abu Bakr, uh, you know, as a family, right? They had agreed at a time that Aisha radiallahu anha would be married to Jubair ibn Mut'im. So he wants to get out of this engagement. How does he get out of it? Well, Jubair refuses to become Muslim at the time. So the engagement is broken off by Jubair ibn Mut'im and Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha on the basis that he is not yet a Muslim. Okay, so Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha, she coordinates. Now, couldn't the Prophet just go to Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu himself and have this conversation? Of course he could. I mean, he, they just, you know, th- these are the two that are going to make hijrah together, right? And go through all of these things together. But Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha is taking this matchmaker role all the way to the end. She goes back to the Prophet mentions the objections. She comes back to Abu Bakr and they are ecstatic, of course, you know? Rasulullah is going to be related to me? Of course, this is perfect. And when Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha would come of age, then the marriage would be consummated years later uh, after that. But she was the one who made the match between the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Sauda and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and Aisha. So I just want you to think about this. Now we know that Jibreel alayhi salam also would come to the Prophet and the Rasulullah saw Jibreel alayhi salam showing him Aisha radiallahu anha in a dream. And that's where Aisha radiallahu anha used to take pride over the rest of the wives of the Prophet that I'm the one that got married off by Jibreel. Right? Jibreel alayhi salam is the one who showed me in a dream to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So that's one of the ways that she would take pride in, uh, in you know, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala facilitated that marriage. But Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha is the one that is working this out on a practical level. So she is known for this and every single hadith from Aisha radiallahu anha, everything we take from our mother Aisha radiallahu anha, it may be that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala assigns a share of that good to Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha for being the one to bring them together. That's enough to say, wow, like subhanAllah, how much good has she probably attained by every narration from Aisha radiallahu anha about the Prophet sallallahu as well as everything that the Prophet sallallahu did himself. So this is the household of Khawla and Uthman ibn Mad'un. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them. Then the hijrah happens. Khawla radiallahu anha, if she does nothing else in life, she's good. <laughs> I mean, she married off, you know, she, she, she formed the first two marriages of the Prophet sallallahu after the death of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. But then they make their way to Medina and they settle in Al-Medina. And by the way, this makes them from the people who did three hijras, three hijras. They did the hijra, the migration to Abyssinia twice. And then they did the hijra to Al-Medina, Al-Munawwara as well. 
And they settle in Al Madina, and Khawla continues to maintain that closeness to the household of the Prophet. She's a confidant of the Prophet. She is someone that the Prophet trusts deeply, and she's someone that continues to check in and continues to be an involved person in the life of the Prophet. And Uthman ibn Mad'un is a close companion, a beloved companion of the Prophet. Now, when they got to Al Madina, Uthman ibn Mad'un, um, he became, became more involved in the deen. And as a result of that, he actually wanted to be a monk or something of a monk, meaning he wanted to remain uh, in celibacy. He wanted to pray all night, fast every day, and he didn't want to be involved in the dunya anymore. So he's one of those people. You know the hadith of the three men that came to the house of the Prophet ﷺ inquiring about him? Some of the narrations say one of them was actually Uthman. Ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu, seeing you know, how he could basically abandon this dunya, abandon the life of this world, and focus solely on the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the way this became known to the Prophet was that one day Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha visited Aisha radiallahu anha as was common, as was common. And she was wearing you know, beat up old clothes and she looked like she really did not have anything to do with this dunya, right? Just, it looked off. And so Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha asked Khawla radiallahu anha, what happened? So she said, my husband Uthman has no need for this dunya. He fasts all day, he prays all night, and he no longer has any shahawat, he no longer has any desire for companionship. He's gone basically. He's spending all of his time in ibadah. Very similar narration about Abu Darda and Umm Darda and the story of Salman al-Farisi. So he took that, that path where he just wanted to worship Allah all day, fast all day, uh, pray all night, and completely abandon companionship at that time. So Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha told the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam about what Uthman ibn Mad'un had done. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he summoned Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu and he said, Alaysa laka fiya uswatun hasana? Do you not have in me a good example? The best of examples. And Uthman said, Bala ya Rasulullah, of course, O Messenger of Allah. So the Prophet ﷺ said, I fast and I break my fast. I pray, but I also sleep. And I enjoy the companionship of my spouses. So, you know, why are you turning away from my sunnah? So Uthman ibn Mad'un ta'ala anhu at that point he says, Ya Rasulullah, I'm not turning away from your sunnah. And he abandons that lifestyle. But that shows you where his heart was at. And also that the Prophet ﷺ is also getting involved in her you know, home affairs and helping her out, right? Helping her out after she was the one that connected Aisha to the Prophet ﷺ. So SubhanAllah, she married Aisha to the Prophet ﷺ. And then the Prophet ﷺ became aware of a dynamic of her marriage through Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha. So it shows you the way these two households are connected. So after the Prophet ﷺ talked to, talked to him, uh, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, uh, said that sometime later Khawla came to visit and she was dressed so nicely and she had a good sense to her and she just looked like a completely different person. So I said to her, what happened to you? She said, basically, now I'm treated the way that a woman should be treated. <laughs> you know, alhamdulillah, the Prophet ﷺ talked to Uthman ibn Mal'oon anhu, and he went back to being the way that he was supposed to be as a husband and as a companion. Another incident that takes place with Uthman ibn Mal'oon anhu 
One of the ayat that we reveal on a cons- that we recite on a consistent basis was revealed in his presence. Abdullah bin Abbas ta'ala said that one time the Prophet was sitting in his courtyard and Uthman ibn Mad'un passed by and he smiled at the Prophet. The Prophet smiled back at him and the Prophet told him, Why don't you come sit down with me? So tafaddal basically, come sit down. So they sat in the courtyard of the Prophet basically in front of the place where the Prophet would sleep. And Uthman said, we started to have a conversation. And then the Prophet looked up and he looked down and then he looked to his right and he looked to his left and the Prophet looked back up. And Uthman ibn Mad'un he said that you know, he did it again where he looked up to the heaven and it was as if the Prophet was trying to hear something. He was capturing what was being said to him. So he said that, I said to the Prophet wasallam, Ya Rasulullah, I used, you know, I'm, I'm used to sitting with you, but I've seen you do something today that I've never seen you do. And the Prophet said, what is that? He said, I saw you raising your eyes to the heavens and I saw you looking to the right and looking to the left and then you looked back up and it was as if you were trying to capture what was being said to you. And the Prophet ﷺ, when he, said, he says to Uthman, did you notice that? And Uthman ibn Mad'un anhu, he said, Ya Rasulullah, I noticed it. Now, what does this tell you about the Prophet ﷺ when you would sit with him? How was he when you would sit with him? This is a very easy answer, by the way. It's not complicated. How was he when you would sit with him? Very attentive, right? The Prophet ﷺ would look you in the eyes. He would not look away. Uh, if, you know, the Prophet ﷺ would not, you know, we even know that he had a ring and he threw the ring to the side because he felt bad that he was being distracted by the ring. So the Prophet ﷺ was extremely attentive when he was sitting with you. So this was odd for the Prophet ﷺ to uh, look in this way. So the Prophet ﷺ, he tells Uthman ibn Mad'un anhu, he said, Jibreel ﷺ came to me uh, shortly while you were sitting. That Jibreel came to me during this time while you were sitting with me. And Uthman said, Ya Rasulullah, what did he reveal to you? And the Prophet said that he revealed, which you hear every single Friday, that verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enjoins you, with justice and excellence and to spend upon your relatives. And he forbids you from lewdness and from wickedness and shamelessness. And he exhorts you, he admonishes you so that you may take heed. So Uthman responds with something very powerful and very beautiful. And you know, you think about subhanAllah, the journey of yaqeen in the heart, of certainty in the heart. Uthman ibn Mad'un said, it was at that moment that faith overwhelmed my heart. Like al-iman waqara fi qalbi, like faith really took over my heart. Like I already believed in the Prophet But is that imana? His faith increased. He said, faith overwhelmed my heart. And he said, and I truly loved the Prophet SubhanAllah, I mean, that's, that's a very interesting insight from him because I've already told you about everything he's been through. This was the man who in Mecca said, you know, they punched one eye, I wish they punched the other eye who's already migrated three times for the sake of Allah, who wanted to abandon this dunya for the sake of Allah. And he said, you know, I look at that moment 
And so something about that moment, that ayah, witnessing revelation come on the Prophet ﷺ in that way, he said, Iman penetrated my heart. It overwhelmed my heart and I truly loved Muhammad Hubban. Uh, I, I love the Prophet ﷺ with a true love at that moment. So it shows you, subhanAllah, that no matter how close you get to Allah and the Messenger ﷺ, you can always get closer. And subhanAllah, you might think that you've reached the point where your faith is connected and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala connects you further, that the journey of certainty is a lifelong journey. It continues to penetrate the heart as long as you are nurturing the heart with that which solidifies Iman inside of it. So this is even true in the case of one of the first people to embrace Islam who saw everything that happened with the Prophet up until that point. Now subhanAllah, the majority of what we learn about Uthman ibn Mad'un after that and Khawla is about death. Because Uthman ibn Mad'un did not live long after the Hijrah. Okay? When they migrated to Al-Madinah, he is considered, and this is a very interesting first, by the way. He is the first of the Muhajireen to die in Medina. The first of those who migrated from Mecca to die in Medina. It's very significant. Very significant. Right? These people left their homes for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Obviously, you know, people in Medina, the Ansar, were used to death and burial in that sense. But he is the first person who came with the Prophet to die in that state, to die in the state of being a refugee and being persecuted and fleeing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the Prophet was very emotional, very emotional over the death of Uthman ibn Madrun. Very emotional. We, we take so many narrations of the grief of the Prophet from the death of Uthman ibn Madrun and some narrations say he's the first to be buried in Al-Baqir. And uh, the correct opinion is he's the first muhajir to be buried in Al-Baqir, in Medina. Not the first person, but the first of the muhajirun because we know of the death of Kulthum ibn al-Hadim some of the Ansar that passed away and that were buried in Al-Baqir, even if it was As'ad ibn Zurara, a few of the people of Medina before him, but he's the first of the muhajirin to be buried in the Baqir next to the Prophet uh, masjid. And when the Prophet learned of his sickness, Rasulullah entered in upon him and the Prophet he actually was there uh, comforting Uthman ibn Mad'un as his soul left his body. So Rasulullah was by his bedside when he passed away and obviously the only thing they say is that he died of a fever, some sort of illness that overtook him when they, you know, sometime after they migrated to Al-Madinah. And when the Prophet witnessed his death. They say that the Prophet eyes began to flow with tears. So the tears started to drop from the eyes of the Prophet And Rasulullah gave us a sunnah, by the way. And even the ulama that say this is not necessarily a sunnah, they say it establishes the permissibility. He kissed the forehead of Uthman ibn Madirun. So the narration, the permissibility, or the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the act being liked, recommended act, of kissing your loved one on the forehead after you do the ghusl, after they, they pass away, is taken from this narration of the Prophet ﷺ with Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu. SubhanAllah, they say that the, the face of Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was 
was, was at ease and at joy. And the eyes of the, the wetness from the tears of the Prophet was still fresh and moist when he kissed the forehead of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the Prophet took him and Rasulullah himself uh, uh, took part in the burial of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu, his first companion who migrated with him to die in Al-Madina in Al-Baqir. And another act that is established from the death of Uthman ibn Mad'un anhu, is the permissibility of putting a stone on top of the grave to mark it. However, the Prophet forbade writing into the stone. That's why some of the ulama allow at most maybe a name or a date or something of that sort as an identifying marker. But the Prophet said, bring me a stone of a different color, something that I can put on top that will distinguish his grave. And Rasulullah he called him ala qabri akhi, on the grave of my brother, which is a means of affection. And Rasulullah said, and I'm going to bury next to him whoever dies of my family. SubhanAllah. So when you go to the Baqir, where would the grave of Uthman ibn Mad'un be when you go to the Baqir? With the wives of the Prophet and his children. So he's somewhere right in the middle of the, the family of the Prophet that passed away in Al-Baqir as soon as you get into Al-Baqir. So this was the first time, or this is the proof, the evidence that we take, that it's permissible to put some sort of identifying marker, not out of extravagance, not to uh, write into it or to put some sort of you know, uh, decoration, but to do so simply to mark the grave is from the death of Uthman ibn Mal'oon radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said uh, to him after he passed away, he said, Rahimakallahu ya Uthman, May Allah have mercy on you, on you, O Uthman. Ma asabta min dunya wala asabat minka. It's a beautiful, beautiful statement, subhanAllah. Ma asabta min dunya wala asabat mink. The dunya was not able to touch you, nor did you touch the dunya. The dunya took nothing from you, and you took nothing from this dunya. Like you came into this world, you took nothing of it, and it took nothing of you. And the explanation of that that the scholars mentioned from the eloquence of the Prophet is that. The dunya takes of you in your good deeds or your character, right? It might take away your character, it might change your substance, it might change you as a person, your faith, your character. And with Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he did not allow the dunya to ever change him as a person, to ever change his substance, to ever change his character, nor was he seduced by uh, its wealth. And also we find that when Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu passed away, Um Ala al-Ansariya, who was the Ansari woman in whose house the family of Uthman settled. Remember the Muhajirun settled in the homes of some of the Ansar. Um Ala comes to the Prophet and she says, Ya Rasulullah, I saw Uthman ibn Mad'un in a dream. And he said, I saw Aynan Tajri Lahu, like this river that was just flowing for him. Like he's looking at a river that is flowing for him. And the Prophet said, Thaka Amalu. Those are his good deeds. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us rivers of good deeds. SubhanAllah, the flowing good deeds of him. Like how, how beautiful to be described, SubhanAllah, after your death by the Prophet Sallallahu Like it's as if he has a river of good deeds. Like they're just flowing to him in his grave right now. From every direction, all of the khayr that he did is coming to him. Radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And his wife, Khawla, radiallahu ta'ala anha. Uh, she has a beautiful poem uh, for him. Uh, it is very, very hard to translate. It's very eloquent. But she says, Ya'in ujudi bidam'in ghayri mamnoon. 
ala raziyati Uthman ibn Mad'un. So first and foremost, she says that on the tragedy, oh, oh I pour your tears without pause. mamnun. So, you know, without ceasing, let your eyes pour out the tears. Ala raziyati Uthman ibn Mad'un on the tragedy, on the death of Uthman ibn Mad'un. And she says, طُوبَ لَهُ مِنْ فَقِيدِ الشَّخْصِ مَدْفُونَ طَابَ الْبَقِيعُ لَهُ Or actually, I think I might have mixed it up. Yes. طَابَ الْبَقِيعُ لَهُ سُكْنَ وَغَرْقَدُهُ وَأَشْرَقَتْ أَرْضُهُ مِنْ بَعْدِ تَفْتِينِ So she continues and she says, O eyes, pour your tears without pause on the tragedy of the death of Uthman ibn Mad'un, glad tidings to my lost loved one who we just buried, to one who now lives in the pleasure of his creator. Um, and it's a very long and a very beautiful, I skipped the line, I'm sorry, so I'm gonna read it again. يَا عَيْنُ جُودِي بِدَمْعٍ غَيْرِ مَمْنُونَ عَلَى رَزِيَّةِ عُثْمَانِ بْنِ مَذْعُونَ عَلَى مْرِئٍ بَاتَ فِي رِضْوَانِ خَالِقِهِ uh, so this is the line that I missed. To the one who now lives in the pleasure of his creator. Now you live in the pleasure of your creator. And uh, That basically the earth opens up, it brightens up to receive him after the tribulation, the fitna of this dunya. And what a pure abode this baqir is for a person like Uthman. Ibn Mat'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Rasulullah sallallahu loved him and praised him so much that it said that when one of the daughters of the Prophet sallallahu passed away, the Prophet sallallahu comforted and said, follow in the path of Al-Abrar and in the path of Uthman ibn Mat'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu to the, uh, to, to the ultimate abode of Al-Jannah. So the Prophet sallallahu is even you know, connecting those that come after, that pass away after Uthman ibn Mat'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu, that they follow him into Al-Jannah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow all of us to follow Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu into Al-Jannah. After the death of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu, Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha was left behind in Al-Madina and she was in this obviously precarious situation at this point. And she is one of the people who offered herself in marriage to the Prophet So she's a matchmaker and she offered herself in marriage to the Prophet but Rasulullah would marry People, obviously, uh, in, in various situations, the tribal alliances that took place through the marriages of the Prophet and other things. And so the Prophet did not marry her. There are other women that presented themselves to the Prophet And uh, this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, according to uh, Ibn Kathir rahimahullah and others, that a believing woman who presents herself to the Prophet to be married uh, to him, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha says, this is referring to Khawla. And some of the scholars mentioned that one of the things that we take from this is the righteousness of Khawla, that Allah referred to her as imra'atan mu'mina, as a believing woman. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised her iman, praised her belief, even though she was not one who would actually end up marrying the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And there were many uh, women who wanted to marry uh, the Prophet sallallahu but the Prophet sallallahu did not uh, marry them. So Khawla radiallahu ta'ala anha remained unmarried after the death of Uthman ibn Mad'un radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And she narrates several of the ahadith that we have until today. One of them, the dua, a'udhu bi kalimati Allah tamati min sharri ma khalaq. The Prophet said that when you stop at a place and you say, a'udhu bi kalimati Allah tamati min sharri ma khalaq, I seek refuge in Allah's perfect words. 
from the evil of what he has created, that nothing will harm you until you depart from uh, that place of yours. Also some of the ahadith about ghusl uh, for women in particular. She narrates some of those ahadith and she became a teacher of some of the most prominent of the tabi'een. One of them was Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah ta'ala. So we talked about her relationship to Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anhu, obviously through her husband and the children of Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And Umar ibn Abdul Aziz rahimahullah narrates from her and narrates from Khawla radiallahu anha and refers to her as Al-Imra As-Saliha. Just again, a form of praise, the righteous woman. So Umar ibn Abdul Aziz would, uh, would refer to her in that way. And she is radiallahu ta'ala anha on top of being one of the first to embrace Islam and those that did the three hijras, uh, a hadith narrator, a teacher of the tabi'een. She is, of course, you know, known and bi'idhnillahi ta'ala rewarded for the role that she played in the Prophet's life more than anything else, being the matchmaker for the first two wives of the Prophet after the death of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy and be pleased with her and be pleased with Uthman ibn Mad'oon radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala join us with them. Allahumma ameen. Insha'Allah ta'ala, our next Sahabi is Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So you can stop harassing me and saying, when are we going to do Umar? We're going to do Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Trust me, it is a joy to speak about Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, the brother-in-law of Uthman ibn Mad'oon radiallahu ta'ala anhu. This podcast was brought to you by Yaqeen Institute for Islamic Research, dismantling doubts and nurturing conviction, one truth at a time. Tune in every week for the next episode, and don't forget to subscribe to this channel and share with friends. Until next time, this has been The Firsts, The Forerunners of Islam.